many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Welcome back to The Outsiders. I'm Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. You, you know that we have to start thinking about the fact that there are all the holidays and everybody's... Con- Hang on a second, Robin. Let me let me just... Uh, do we have some holiday music here? There, there we go. I feel a little more festive all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I, I'm feeling real festive. What's not to like? We're right full swing on the Christmas season. Uh, everybody's out and about doing their shopping. Uh, it's my favorite time of year. Okay, let's tell people what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We have a very special show coming your way today. We'll tell you about that in a split second. During the uh, the break between Christmas and New Year's, you'll have a best of show coming your way. We, we've taken a lot of our favorite interviews and some great clips from the guests that we've had since we started doing the show way back the early part of September and you'll be able to hear that over the over the holiday break. And then as we get into the new year, we'll also have another festive show where we will be chatting with both uh, Barry Stafford, the longtime trainer and equipment manager with the Edmonton Oilers, and also we'll be talking with Ken Lowe, who was not only the athletic therapist for the Edmonton Eskimos in their heyday, but then came over and joined the Eskimos, went from the Eskimos over to the Oiler locker room, and was part of that club for many many years and both guys with some great stories to tell so that's coming up over the next four weeks two guys uh, in uh, staffy and kenny Lowe, we both know well we've both got a lot of history with and who both had big hands in all those dynasty days for the edmonton oilers and who we still luckily uh, bump into from time to time now so yeah I, that's going to be fun And on today's show, this was a lot of fun for us as well because we chatted with two gentlemen who know very much what the Battle of Alberta is all about, and that is Grant Pollock from what was Calgary 2-7. and He worked alongside Ed Whalen, and they did the broadcast for Calgary in the 1980s, and also Tim Spellacy, who not only was the host of Oilers broadcasts in the 80s on ITV, then became the general manager at Global in Edmonton, Mm -hmm for a period of time. So we decided we better track these two guys down to talk a little bit about the old days and have some fun and talk about some stories. Two guys who absolutely lucked out by cutting their teeth during an era when it actually was a battle of Alberta. Yes. When that term meant something, when both teams were terrific, all the Stanley Cup parades up this way, a very good Flames team down the highway. They were right in the middle of it. And we'll get to that with these two guys. Now, we got to say, we recorded it earlier, obviously, and usually we have an introduction to these guys and then we get into our topics. But the moment we got a hold of Grant on the phone from Calgary and Tim was in studio with us, they just started talking and we just started recording because, you know, you can't shut shut broadcasters up, right? Well, by Grant, you're talking about Scott Morgan, correct? (laughs) Yes, Scott Morgan. That was, well, you know what? Let's get right into the conversation here and let him describe exactly what Scott, what a Scott Morgan was. Okay, so here we go. Let's get rolling. Nineteen seventy-two, Thunder Bay, Scott Morgan, Bay City Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you, you started in nineteen seventy-two. Nineteen started? No, that was yeah. I was in Thunder Bay, nineteen seventy-two. Yep, I, I didn't. I started in seventy-one at Chin Radio in Toronto, the ethnic radio station, spinning the records for the Caribbean radio show. The we Caribbean on? radio show. Yes, Caribbean radio show. Yeah, <laughs> it seems a little out of place there, but I'm sure it was very popular. It actually was huge. It was huge, and uh, it, it was so much fun. I, I just got out of uh, 
radio and TV arts from Humber College. And uh, no, I was still I was still going. I I quit because I got this. I was in the biz. I, I was I was an <laughs> operator. Hey, that I I, I made it big time. <laughs> that Brim, that's we got to get in like. Your Grant's first job, Chin Radio, really? I don't know Chin about Radio. him. I know that I was at the Peace Arch News Weekly newspaper in White Rock, B.C., covering seniors lawn bowling. Nice. Oh, that was that was the, the first step to the big time. And, Tim, what about you? Where did you start? Uh, Grand Prairie, CFGP, the Nifty 1050 Grand Prairie. Uh, <laughs> the Peace Prairie. Uh, yeah, CFGP 19. See, Grant, you... I, 1975, I started the fall of 75. Wow. Uh, it's amazing how we can remember those first ones. Like, I can't remember a whole lot from what I did 10 years ago at, at, at work or some of those stories, but I can vividly remember, uh, you know, the first TV job, the first radio job, those first jobs. Um, and some of the trouble I got into, I got in trouble with that Caribbean radio show too. I thought I was being funny because the uh, the announcer J C McDonald would put me on the air, you know, put the operator on the air. And every time J C McDonald would say happy birthday to somebody, you know, I had the phone in his birthdays. He would he would as a Caribbean or Jamaicans whatever he was, he would say birthday b like b i r t wouldn't say t. So I pretended. I thought I was being funny by saying the same thing. Well, I was called racist. They wanted to get me off the air. The whole Jamaican community that listened was so pissed off at me. It was awful. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it was uh, it, it was kind of scary. But they backed me up. We used to do it at CFGP in the morning. You know, they read the obituaries on radio. Really? And uh, the late, great oh. Peter Hall, a lovely man who passed away a few years ago. So he'd be reading, you know, the 9 till noon. So he'd be reading the obituaries. And my goal every day was to see if I could get him to laugh during the obituaries. <laughs> and, uh, and and he was stoic. And, and w but one day he started laughing during the obituaries. He turned off the microphone, walked out of the, walked out of the studio, and dead air. Like nothing, nothing. Two, three minutes. Dead it's a coin of phrase. Yeah, dead air on dead air. And the problem was this, you know, do you think, how many people do you think phone to complain like the radio stations off the air? None. No <laughs> yeah. phone Not a thing. But he got me back because a, a few hours later I was reading the hog uh, livestock report, you know, hogs, oh, do you want to do that? The prices. Uh, and he came, and it was a big, long piece of uh, newswire, of course, you know, that you get off the old teletype machine. He lit the bottom on fire. You know, nice so, touch. Yeah, Peter got his revenge. Nice tell, comeback. Tell me you're rolling on this, Bren. This is what uh, oh, we Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? We never really did a true intro on all of this so we, because uh, it's just so easy to have some fun and talk. Okay, let's let's get into how you guys got going here in terms of the Battle of Alberta back in the 1980s. Tim, you were not the first host. Was Vic Router the first host? You have an amazing memory. Yes, Vic Router was the first host for the 79-80 season of the Oilers on ITV, their first season of the National Hockey League. So Vic would fly in from Toronto. At that time, Vic was working for Global TV in Toronto, not, not for TSN, and he came in and did the intermissions. And Grant, did you just jump right in cold? I was the third host. Really? A couple of, a couple of unknowns preceded me. Uh, Here Jim, we go. <laughs> I know Jim, Jim Van Horn was the first. And then he, so he was there from 80 to 84. And then TSN started up. So he went to Toronto and started that. And then I auditioned because I arrived in Calgary in 83. I auditioned for it. And I thought I had a pretty good chance. I was working there. But this kid from Red Deer. Was he a weather guy? Yes. Oh. Um, I, uh, Ron, Can you remember Rick, his name? Ron, Ron McLean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him. That's it. You know him? Yeah. <laughs> he did it for a couple of years. And then in 1986, in the spring, uh, Dave Hodge got PO'd at CBC. Uh -huh. at, yeah. You know, the pen flip or pencil flip, whatever it was. He got fired. McLean left and took Dave Hodge's job. And I moved in in 86 to do the Flames hosting. So I was the third guy. You guys, have, you guys have worked with some incredible talent too in the booth, and we can talk about the play-by-play -play guys and the color guys separately. But let's start with the play-by-play -play guys. Uh, Tim in Edmonton, who did you have when you were here? Did you have Dancy? Yeah, it was pretty pretty simple. Tim Dancy was uh, was when I came on board, and Tim had been doing it uh, seventy nine eighty, and then uh, I believe it was three years. My memory serves me right. Bruce Buchanan came in, so Bucky would have come in. Uh, I think eight no eighty two eighty three season was Bruce Buchanan. I think, 
and did the run through the cup years. Did the run through the cup years. It's only only the two. Dancy for a short time and well, I shouldn't say short time, three years and then and then Bucky Bruce Buchanan. This is an easy one for you, Grant. You just had the yeah. one guy, the legend. I just had the one guy, Ed Whalen. Um he did it when the Flames uh came to Calgary in nineteen eighty. Uh, there is some. There is some real. Uh, you know, Ed became a legend in, in doing the Flames. Hello, hockey fans, and all that kind of stuff. And he he brought his rest stampede wrestling background. So he he was not your typical play by play announcer. And there was a lot of. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the production arm uh, of Moldstar really wanted Ed, but uh, the station fought for him and. You know, gladly they did because he became a star. But and then the last year we had the rights, ninety nine, two thousand. Ed was, Ed had retired, so I did both play by play and hosting for the final year. So I don't know which guy was the best, me for the one year, Ed for <laughs> nineteen. Grant was wasn't Paul Romanuk in there somewhere in the mix um, at two and seven Calgary, or am I am I missing? No, something? he. he when McLean left, we were looking for replacement. They were looking for a replacement, uh, not for the hockey, but behind, well, just as a sports guy at, okay. at, at two and seven. So they hired uh, Paul Romanuk. Never have I met anybody who came uh, to work at two and seven who disliked the West so much as Paul Romanuk. <laughs> oh, he was just miserable. He was your typical Torontonian, Ontario guy saying, what the heck am I doing out here? And, uh, yeah, Romanek was there for a cup of coffee. Okay, that's, yeah, I had a faint memory of that, but I can't. Uh... But he didn't do any hockey. He, he hadn't started hockey until he had gone back to TSN, from what I remember. Hey, Grant, how do you do play-by-play and host? Like, when do you, oh, even, when do you even get a pee break on a shift you like don't. that? It was the hard, It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, and the reason why it wasn't because my great talents of play-by-play, because I didn't have much experience doing it. It was to do it the cheap way because they knew they were a global at that time. No, they were going to hand it off to global. Right. We were Calgary Seven. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they knew they weren't, weren't going to pick up the rights. So, I would go up into the uh, booth at about. I don't know, an hour and a half before the game and do all my pre-tapes and all that. It was tough. It was tough. Um, we would do a lot of taping so I could run out and do pee breaks, but <laughs> it was uh, it was like being in a, uh, uh, a capsule, going into space where you're just locked into that booth. You couldn't wait to get out of it. It was a heck of an experience, but only to do a few games play-by-play. You never got run. I never really got comfortable at doing it so it was kind of a nerve-wracking experience really and what what year was that again Grant? was that you say it was 99 99 2000 so, so two and seven still was doing it because at, at itv edmonton of course we yeah we saw the yeah. rights leave after the 91 92 season so in 92 they went over to ctv cfrn and uh but you know i had to get real jobs it was awful <laughs> yeah that's right Color, That's right. The color commentators you guys worked with, and it, it seemed like there was always a bit of a revolving door in that department. Uh, Tim, let's start with you when you got going here. Well, it was mostly, back at that time, Gary Dornhofer doing uh, the orders on ITV. Uh, but we had a mix of guys, um, you know, uh, Steve Shutt. Mickey Redmond came in a lot of times. There was a few years where we had Gary Unger as the primary color guy. Um, you know, we had Scott. Dornhofer? Well, Dorney, yeah. Dorney did most of the, I don't know, Grant, it was probably, and I think he was working with you as well, but Dorney did most of the first four or five years I was around, as I recall. Shut. Mickey Redmond did a lot of games with us. Gary Unger for a short time. Uh, Scotty Bowman, yes. which was the most amazing experience to work with Scotty as the color guy. Uh, great guy. I mean, lovely guy. We had a really interesting, uh, who else? Pinder. Uh, Jerry Pinder. You remember him? Yep. He kind of came yeah. around and did some, but the very first game, the very first game that Don Cherry did as a color commentator was the orders on ITV with Tim Spellacy and Tim Dancy. Shortly after he got let go by the Colorado Rockies, which I think was at the end of a season, I think it was about 81, I'm not sure of that. And uh, we were in Los Angeles, two story, we were in Los Angeles, um, Tim Dancy and I, and John Shannon, who was our producer hmm. the next night for the game in LA, he said, got a new color guy tomorrow. So Tim and I say, who, who is it? Don Cherry. You know, he's looking to do some work. He's not going back to coaching. So we went to the Black Whale, the Marina del Rey, 
drank a few beers, yeah. had a few crab legs, and listened to Don Cherry stories for ooh, six, seven hours. And uh, <laughs> it was, it, Grant, it was so much fun. It was, we, it was, you know, pee your pants laughing. It was, it was quite the thing. So uh, people don't recall that Don initially did, I think, I think, maybe two or three seasons, midweek hockey telecast, not Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. On, in fact, when Wayne Gretzky got 50 goals in 39 games and people listen to that tape from time to time and they're thinking, who's that announcer and, and who's that color guy? Well, Tim Dancy was the announcer and Don Cherry was the color guy. Wow. You know, it's interesting, Tim, you talk about grapes. Uh, you know, we know what's happened recently. But the thing was with Don... Uh, I got to know him around the rink over the years. There was never a bunch bunch of polish there. It was always from the gut, from the heart. He was probably very much the same in his thousandth game in front of the TV <laughs> as he was in his first, because he just kind of told you what he thought, you know. Yeah, that's right. He wasn't he wasn't around, you know. Uh, unlike you know, he was a guy that did a lot of color with us. I forgot, you know, John Davidson. Did a lot of games mm-hmm. with us, Grant. And I'm sure he did some games with you as well. And JD, he didn't do them with me. I think he did them with Ed and uh, maybe Van Horn and Ron. Okay, yeah. before you talk. But JD, and in fact, JD, the first game he did with us, he was still with the Rangers, but he was kind of on injured reserve or something at the time. I think he was with, yeah, he was with the Rangers at the time. But JD did a lot of work. Like he, he, this was back. This was before the internet, before the Google machine and everything. And JD would get all kinds of newspapers and clippings and so he got all this work done. Don Cherry, no, Don just showed up at the rink. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't read a whole bunch. He didn't. Read the hockey news every week go through the media guide he didn't talk to players or coaches or anything like that he, he showed up at the rink and 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 did did it and you're exactly right robin he just what he saw is what he talked about and everything at the, but at the time of course he was still you know just coming off coaching boston and colorado so um you know he was familiar with everything that was going on in the league at that particular time and grand who who did you have there did you have dornhofer a little bit as well no, that that was just before. So that would be the first, you know, the early '80s when Ed and Ron or or uh, Jim Van Horn were hosting. The guys that I worked with, and actually for a long time, would be John Garrett and uh, Harry Neal, yeah. with a little bit of Scotty Bowman in there, uh, Jim Poplinski towards the end a little bit, Greg Millen a little bit in the middle there. But um, I I think Tim would agree with me. The guy who I really enjoyed listening to and being with because we traveled together he was a real good friend is his cheat john garrett yeah. i mean uh john became a good friend it was always fun but i would say harry neal and uh and john were the two guys that i remember and, and having so much fun but you know i don't remember harry neal ever going in the dressing room and getting to know the players either he was just more the personality but i thought those two guys I still love listening to Garrett when I watch the Vancouver games. I still I still like his honesty and his and his kind of a little uh, a smart alecky tone sometimes too. So those are the guys that I remember. Actually, you know, we, we did a lot of games with Harry and John too. And later, years. I yeah, there was, all this, there was there was so many color commentators. I got to tell you, Grant. I mean, there was probably twenty or twenty five I worked with over those twelve years. To be frank, but but John and and Harry were the were the main guys near the end. Harry and then more uh, John Garrett and and John and I yeah. are still good friends and we keep in touch. And and, uh, yeah, I want to go. I, I won't go to the chicken wing story and, and the pizza story in Pittsburgh. That's for later. That's Garrett, right? That ought to be Garrett. That's John Garrett. Yeah, yeah. awful guy. But uh, there's, uh, <laughs> but the the um, the uh, the uh, the uh, Harry Neal was fantastic to uh, to to work with. I mean, yeah, he was. You're right. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't go into the dressing room to talk to the players, but he did talk no. to a lot of coaches, a lot of GMs, and and, and GMs and, exactly, and other guys yeah. around. That's where Harry. That's where Harry was. And he was the Harry was the. Harry was, Cheech was funny, but Harry was the funniest guy to sit yeah, around after the rink or something like that. He was funnier in person than he was on the air. He was oh, he was. He's a guy that could swear and say words that I wouldn't dare say, but it sounded like normal, like it sounded funny. It sounded natural. He was just a uh, a really a really funny man, and and I found very interesting too. The the color commentator that I was surprised, not necessarily a great color commentator. He was okay. Was Scotty Bowman, but a real nice man and very respectful. And I I was not. I was a little intimidated by him because he was Scotty Bowman, but he was between jobs. And I remember one time going to Buffalo and he would pick me up at the, at the hotel and take me out for uh, something to eat during the afternoon. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I, I don't know if he really put a lot of effort or, you know, cared about being a color commentator too much, but 
I was surprised on how nice of a person he was yeah. to everybody off camera. He was, he was a, you know, Scotty was an amazing guy, and people think he was this son of a bitch, you know. But I, yeah. I, I remember with Scotty Grant sitting down after a game at Edmonton. I still remember this Western Hotel lobby, and, and we went for a beer afterwards, and he said, Tim, what do you think? What did I do right? What did I, you know, he was asking me for advice, and I'm thinking, oh, really? This is amazing. Scotty Bowman is asking me for advice. He'd send you a Christmas card, and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd call you from yeah. time to time. He was the, the nicest chap. But one thing about Scotty, when you went into a rink with Scotty, you know, like we talk about, you know, Harry or somebody going to track down a GM to talk to them. These guys, coaches and GMs, gravitated towards. Yep. They wanted to. <laughs> they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to bounce things off him. So Scotty would go in there. It was like, you know, it, it was like he's having a little audience of, of three or four people around him. You know, might be an agent, might be a, maybe a later a player, but certainly coaches, GMs, and other guys around the league, and, and certainly media guys. They just loved to hang around with Scotty. And later on, when uh, Scotty went back into, he was uh, he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, helping out there, and then Badger Bob was uh, was sick, and so Scotty took over as the head coach. I still remember one night in Pittsburgh where we went out. Uh, after he said to me and Bucky, he said, "I want to take you guys out after the game." So we went out with Scotty, and his assistant coach at the time was Pierre Maguire, and we went out for beers in Pittsburgh for a late, long night. It was it was amazing to sit there and listen to Scotty Bowman tell stories. But then on the other hand, every once in a while, you talk to Mickey Redmond and Steve Shutt, and they they tell you about boy. Playing for Scotty was tough. They, he, he didn't. Yeah, it, it's not into like the the Babcock or Bill Peter stuff or anything like that. But he was very, very aloof as a coach. Pat Hughes, when he played for the Orders, would mention this too. Like Scotty wasn't buddy buddy with the players. He wasn't put put his arm around you, kind of thing. How you doing? How's your day going? Kind of thing. He was aloof and a bit removed and didn't make himself friends with the players. Great respect and everything. I think Scotty changed later in life, though. I remember the great picture of Scotty on the ice wearing his skates after the Red Wings yeah. won the Stanley Cup, and he was a changed person. But did you ever meet a nicer man than Scotty Bowman? I don't think so. Yeah, and I was surprised. That's what surprised me. That I was kind of thinking it was that kind of that, that coach, that coach guy was going to be showing up and not talk to anybody. But he was the complete opposite. I remember one time sitting at the Joe Louis Arena on morning skate, and Scotty was there. And we're sitting up there watching the morning practice. Um, a reporter, I think his name was William Houston from the Globe and Mail. I yes. believe that's his name. Was walking up the steps. Now this is not very nice from from a from a reporter media guy like me. I was kind of think this was nice, but this was Scotty. He says, Grant, watch this. And he would just start talking to Houston as if he was giving Houston something, and he was just making something up. I mean, I guess that's a sense of humor he had, but as a reporter, you know, I want to say, hey, hey, He's lying. He's lying because he was, and he, 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 and Houston walked away thinking he had some scoop, and Scotty just winked at me. So he had a bit of a sense of humor, I guess, at somebody else's expense. Hey, Grant, talk a little bit about. Uh, well, you mentioned Cheech. Uh, we used to call him the king of bucket food because he was the chicken wings guy. But Harry Neal, Harry Neal had a wicked sense of humor. He was almost completely different uh, from what you'd expect in some ways as the coach. Uh, you got any tales from the road with those two? Well, I tell you, Harry Neal is one guy who I just love listening to. Um, Harry, Harry Neal would always um, always have well-written uh, comments and he would just comp he would just tell me those things that he really wanted to say where he would you know quote Shakespeare or quote some uh, you know <laughs> Churchill or something like that and he was going to work it into his game so that's what I remember and I was just so impressed by this guy who a hockey coach former hockey coach was so well read he was well educated wasn't he didn't he go to uh, I forget. Maybe I'm wrong there. No, but he, uh, yeah, you, he did go to he did go to university and, and completed a Greek grammar. Yeah, he did. I can't remember exactly what it was. So I found him more cerebral, and I was, and he, I, I found him funny. He always had me laughing, and I always just listened to him. And here's the thing that I like. You know, Ed Ed Whalen was an older guy. And he was more of a character guy. He was not a typical play-by-play -play guy, as I mentioned before. A lot of the color commentators didn't really care to work with Ed because he was a bit different. And um, maybe not, didn't have that stature that they wanted to work with as far as a play-by-play. -play. Harry Neal and John Garrett, Harry Neal especially, not John too, were so respectful. And I loved the relationship that Harry had with Ed Whalen. They're almost... Two grumpy old men that weren't really grumpy, if you know what I mean. Kind of older guys. They just looked. They just looked like they were 
my old brothers or something like that. So I just remember Harry just being a good guy, a smart guy, and really kind to Ed. And I thought they worked well together. Yeah. And, you know, when Ed was, people didn't realize this. And Edmonton people would mostly remember Ed from Stampede Wrestling and, you know, Abdullah the right. Richard days. And what's he got in his trucks and everything? Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But but when you, uh, and we, we got a lot of chance, we had a, a lot of time with, with Ed over those years. Hey, Grant, when we did the Oilers games and Flames games, and we'd often be yeah. playing, you know, the same game. And, of course, Ed was doing the other telecast. So I, Ed Whalen was, in my view, what you saw in person and what you saw on television, same guy. He was exactly yeah. he was exactly the same person, and he was an extremely kind man who did a, a ton a ton of work in the Calgary community. Ed Whalen was everywhere. Um, a fascinating fascinating person though, but but he was he was a bit you know, and I loved him, but it was a bit like working with Grandpa. It was. <laughs> I people it was just like it was like traveling with your grandfather. Yeah, you know. <laughs> But Eddie, Eddie just loved being the Flames play-by-play guy. Tim, I don't know what it was like at Edmonton, but and I think Bucky was really a strong Oilers fan, right? Eddie was a strong Oil, uh, Flames fan. I have to admit, and I don't know, it maybe to my detriment, I was more of a TV guy hosting. I I, I liked the Flames. I but I didn't hang on every game. And so that was a difference with us. Eddie would get, he, he always had a famous line and I've used that a lot. And I got it. I got it. Every time I say it, I have to say it in Ed's voice because we'd be walking over uh, to the arena from our hotel or f- somewhere around five, five thirty. I'm nervous, kid. And he would say that because he truly was nervous about the game. Sure. And I was more concerned about who did we have for guests. We have good features. I hope it's an exciting game. Uh, Eddie cared a lot about the Flames. He mm. he bled the Flames. And I think I was more of the, I just wanted a good show. But Eddie, Eddie he would, and he would work a plane too. So we we get on a plane on the way to Toronto or somewhere, and uh, you know I'd be putting my Walkman on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had one already, eh? Uh, <laughs> cutting edge, and, and kind of buried in my seat, probably doing a lot of homework. Uh, yeah. Eddie would just work the plane. Hi there, yes. Oh, that feel, he's. Great! I love Theo. You know that kind of Steve worked the plane. So he was truly a character that loved the Flames. And um, was Bruce like that, or were you like that? I mean, where did, did you did you feel like me as far as a host, where you're more involved with the telecast than you were if the Oilers won or lost? I think when I started, I wanted to be that neutral, professional broadcaster, host kind of guy. In fact, you know, when the Oilers got into the National Hockey League, I was a I was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan because you know when you a kid growing up, there were six teams to watch and. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Vancouver, and you either what you either a Montreal Canadiens fan or a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So, I, I loved the Leafs, Davy Keel, and all that kind of stuff, and everything. And and so um, I was a you know, I, I, which was a good thing I think in my first couple of years with the Oilers because I wasn't in awe. But once you did a couple of years with them, Grant, there's two things. First, the team was this was you know Gretzky, Messier, Curry, Coffee. Yeah. This team was so good and so exciting and so interesting to watch. You couldn't help but become a fan. But it was also from a selfish point of view, it was so much easier to travel with them, to be in the dressing room, to hang around with the team when they were winning. And those years that Bucky and I were doing it, and Tim Nance and I were doing it, they were winning most When Tim was around, this was this team on the rise. Right. And it was easy It was easy to get excited about them because you could just see this team growing and getting better and inching into the playoffs when they beat Montreal in that best-of-three series and everything. So you grew as a fan, and by the end of it, I was, I was a huge Oilers fan, still am. And I tried to be as objective as I could be, but I really couldn't be objective because the team was so good. But, but also, it was just easier to be around them when they were winning, so you just hoped that they would win some, especially on the road. Didn't care as much about the home games, but on the road, you just knew, hey, the flight the next day, the hanging around the hotel is going to be a lot easier if they win because when when they lost, they they tended to scowl at everybody, including us. You know, guys, we had uh, we had Terry Jones in the studio here last week, and you know, we were giving him a bit of a hard time about, geez, Jonesy, are there any halls of fame that you're not in yet? Uh, and he yeah. went right back to this, and I think you guys could probably uh, relate, Grant. Uh, he says, I walked in to the Oilers when they were building to the dynasty days. I walked into an Edmonton Eskimos team that seemed to be in or win the Grey Cup every year. For a window there, uh, Tim got a lot of the winners up here, but I tell you what, 
the Calgary Flames may have been the second best team oh, in yeah. hockey yeah. for a lot of those years. And we go back to the, the, the true battle of Alberta, not when it was the battle of Alberta in name only. That must have been a lot of fun when those hockey clubs were beating each other's brains in. Well, I can speak to that because I arrived in Calgary in 83, so it was just building and building. And um, uh, I can remember, now people's TV viewing habits were different then too, but when the Flames on 2 and 7 were happening that night, two, I think it was like a, we had a, a share of 30, a 29 or 30 share in the early 90s, late 80s. And somebody was saying Seinfeld on channels 2 and 7, which was in its zenith then, was getting a 19 or 20 share. So it was huge. I think two-thirds of the TV sets in our city would be tuned into the flames on 2 and 7. So I honest, honestly, as a, you have to be sort of a, I was so excited about going, let's say we were going to Edmonton for the game, because you knew it was a big event. You weren't just fabricating an opening to try and create interest. So you got, you're exactly right. It was intrinsic in everybody in this city to watch that game, to feel for the game. And I can remember just being so excited about it, trying to be professional, but being a fan at the same time, because I know the whole city and what, maybe two thirds or more of the province was glued to what was happening that night. And the games rarely disappointed. Yeah, you make a good point, the whole province, because they're watching in Calgary, they're watching in Edmonton, they're watching in Red Deer. I think we used to get, you know, this was a, now this was back in the days of diaries when people filled out a piece of paper the week afterwards, so not as accurate as the system is now with, with, the, with the meters, though I believe the meters would probably have a larger audience, but I remember there was Oilers games where when we got the information back, there was a, a 33 share. Yeah. Know? And today, you know, you know, an eight or nine or 10, 10? is a big deal. So yeah. these audiences were three times as large. And of course the, the entertainment factor and the, there, now there's a lot less channels back then too. Netflix didn't exist, et cetera, and so on. But yeah, you're right. When we did the, uh, the orders flames games, I remember going down and doing uh, some orders flames games in the, in the corral. You probably weren't around for those days, Grant. Um, no, those were, that was awesome. What a neat rink that was. You're right on top of the action and, and, and every fan in there and they're just, they're just hanging over. And, <laughs> Some, but but the Flames were uh, not as competitive a team back then. They just moved in from Atlanta. Then it was much later that they became. And I think you're right. They were the they were the second best team. And it was it was kind of tragic that that early on in the playoffs these teams would meet yeah. each other mm-hmm. because if they had a different type of a format, they likely would have met in the final. But it was it was uh, uh, darn unfortunate that they would meet each other in, in maybe the first or second round and one of them would be out because they were, at that time, they were tremendous teams. And Winnipeg. Well, Winnipeg was right there, too. Yeah, I was going to say that whole Smite division was pretty strong back then, too, weren't they? They were all, yeah. the, the Jets were out, were unbelievable. And, of course, Vancouver wasn't too bad. The Canucks weren't too bad. I remember one time uh, going up to uh, Edmonton and I love doing games up there because of the buzz and uh, I think with the locations of the studio, the production yeah. trucks were, weren't were too far away. There was a real buzz down there and the studios were close to the uh, dressing room so access to players was relatively easy. I remember one night, I can't remember if the Flames won or lost, but all I can remember, Brad McCrimmon was named captain of the Flames. This is the first and I believe the only time when the players were allowed to vote the captain in so uh they allowed brad mccrimmon uh to be the captain so we were trying to kill time at the end of the game to finish on the top of the hour so we had to fill so somebody said uh get let's get mccrimmon on to talk about being the captain um so they were hurrying around. We're ad libbing, and all of a sudden, I look on to my left, and there's Brad McCrimmon sitting down. Well, he had no clothes on. He came from the dressing room in his underwear and his black socks and shoes. And I said, "Well, we can't go on the air like this." So somebody threw him a uh, one of the uh, cameramen, or maybe it was the. Uh, floor director had a black leather jacket on so he came on and he just looked like a biker and i guess the flames were so mad at me and the and our, our telecast for allowing their squeaky clean supposedly captain on the air half naked with his jacket on here so it was 
those were kind of funny, but it was, all, it was all done on the fly because the dressing room was right around the corner. And Tim, am I not, am I, what I remember too, uh, going to Edmonton, uh, our production crew or the guys behind the scenes helping us out, our runners, wasn't your brother one of them? Yeah, my brother, my brother Joe. Uh, did, yeah, yeah, he was a lawyer, or, or, or trying to become a lawyer, or he's, something he's like a, that. He's, he's a lawyer now at a firm at Edmonton, Duncan and Craig. I'll put in that plug for him. But but Joe was a runner from. In fact, after we after we lost the rights uh, to CTV, uh, Joe remained a runner. So he might have done it nine or ten years. And, uh, my younger uh, my younger brother, younger than Joe, Hal Hal Junior helped out a little bit, but Joe did. And they were. And he was a great guy. I mean, I, it was so much fun to okay. grow up and meet guys like that. And, and, and if I, who was the other runner? Runner, I think it was Pat. I believe is a producer at CTV here in Calgary. Pat Kroskoff. Pat Kroskoff and Joe were Out, runners for years. And outstanding guys. They, outstanding. Outstanding people. So that's one thing. And I'm not just patronizing because I'm talking to Edmonton guys, but um, I always like going out there doing the telecast for, for the Coliseum and the location and the and the uh, and the intrinsic value of the Oilers versus the Flames, but. Great people like your brother, like Pat, uh, people like yourselves. I always enjoyed the Edmontonians who were involved in the game. And I mean that sincerely. That's nice of you to say. I mean, Joe kept doing the running even when he was practicing law, even when he started his law practice, because he just loved well, it. I mean, he, he was having so much fun, and, and he yeah. loved it so much. And he, he cut it back, I think, to when he was just doing it Saturday nights. But, yeah, I mean, it was great when you had the guys who'd done it for a long, long time, Grant, who really knew what they were doing, because every once in a while when somebody wasn't available, they'd just throw any kid in there, and he didn't. You know, they were intimidated by the players, and, and you really needed somebody who was around yeah. for a while who could go and grab a player like a Brad McCurman and, hey, bring him in. I mean, I Did you put a shirt on? Put a shirt <laughs> Put some clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask, so touching on what Robin was also talking about, you now hear about the Battle of Alberta, and I just kind of, I almost roll my eyes because I just, it, I just don't think you can ever recapture that magic unless these two teams finally meet in the playoffs again at some point. Do you guys have that same response? We'll start with you in Calgary, Grant. Absolutely, I do. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it's because of my age. I'm getting kind of cranky or thinking uh, that's a bunch of BS, which it is, I guess. They're trying. I wish they wouldn't say it until it's real, but they say it in football. They say it in hockey. Um, I, I don't like how they fabricate it, but I guess they're just trying to drum up some kind of interest to to garner some more eyeballs watching, I guess, where we didn't have to do that. It just sold itself. Um but it truly was. It truly was an exciting time. Um, you know, you, you you guys were saying it's too bad. Calgary was second best. Edmonton was so much better. But I think that's so good in sports. And I have to. I like when there's a dominant team. Uh, I'm not a Yankees fan, but I love when they're strong. I like when Tiger Woods is playing sports because I want to see who can knock them off. I'm not necessarily fans of those. So. It was fun to see who could go up. It was fun to see how your team, say the Flames, would do against the Oilers. So I think even though we weren't as good as the Oilers, fans knew they wanted to see their team, how they were going to stack up. Could they beat them? Could they beat them up? You know, was uh, was Neil Sheehy going to piss off Gretzky or something like that with Paul Baxter? <laughs> was Paul oh. Baxter going to get under Gretzky's skin tonight? So I, I think... That's not happening today, and I think that's probably why I don't uh, um, like how they just fabricate it. I, I'm totally with you, Grant, because I just I just think and with every rivalry, whether you're talking Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, Boston, whatever, you, you don't see that intensity until you get to the playoffs. That's what's tougher now about watching today's NHLs because in the regular season, there's just so many uh, mediocre games, and when the Oilers played the Flames back in the day, there was never a mediocre game. There was never a game that didn't mean a lot. There was never, and they played each other so so often, so frequently in the playoffs, and the intensity just carried over. Now you'd see, if you ever saw a Flames Oilers series in the playoffs, I think you'd see that intensity, and you'd see a legitimate battle of Alberta. And now there's some there's some moments here and there, but you know, with with you know, there's so much of the fighting out of the game and everything like that. You know, you don't have Semenko around, you don't have Neil Sheehy around, uh, Jim Kite. 
Um, yeah. Mike Bullard. Remember the Mike Bullard? Oh, Marty yeah. McSorley? The spear. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 1988. I, I still think that was a phantom spear, by the way. But, <laughs> well, uh, of course it was. It was like, yeah, it was, it was like Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali, the phantom punch. But anyways, but but that kind of, you don't see that kind of, uh, and, you know, now you see, for example, the orders in the flames and they make the trade in the offseason, uh, you know, Luchik and uh, um J, uh, Neil and, and everything like that. Back in the day, Grant, you would never. The orders in flames involved in a transaction. Come on, never, never. That's not no. going to happen. No way. There's just no way that they, the the whole optics of it just wouldn't have happened. Kind of thing. I mean, I still remember the. It was uh, from a playoff series, and we were doing, but but of all the Battle of Alberta things, but. I think it was Estetikin and scored in a playoff game, and Glenn Sather turning around and giving the fans in Calgary the salute with oh, his yeah. head. Oh yeah, game seven. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's when you think, okay, yeah, this is this is real. This isn't uh, you know. <laughs> but I also, of course, I also remember Craig McTavish pulling the tongue out of Harvey the Hound, which was. We just talked yeah. to him a couple of weeks yeah. ago about that. He said he just wished he'd tucked the tongue into his coat pocket. <laughs> so you, you know, guys, we'll never go back to those days because if you think about it, and you've touched on it. Everybody would be suspended or in jail <laughs> yes. if you tried to play hockey like that again. But you can still have the, everybody needs a foil. You need that superstar scorer and the guy who lives and breathes to check them into the ice. Now, if that's McDavid up here and pick your guy in Calgary, if these teams could both be great at the same time again, it might be a little more sane, but you would still have some of that dynamic. I've got a picture hanging in my office, and it sort of encompasses the feeling between the, the, the Flames and the Oilers for all those years, and I'm sure a lot of people have it. It's that picture where Dave Semenko is looking sideways at Tim Hunter yeah. standing beside him. And oh, yeah. it, it, you can almost read, you look at me wrong, I'm going to beat the crap out of you on the spot, pal. And guess what? Tim Hunter got the crap beat out of him more than once. He didn't care. He was back for the next time. Did what he had to do. Everybody was back for the next time. Is there? Any- I can remember being down by uh, ice level during a game, and there was... Um, there was a fight somewhere on the ice, so the play had stopped. And I remember Messier and Joel Otto having a stare down. And it was almost like the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what I mean? Where that three-minute stare down with that music going on. Uh, Messier, and they would just skate around, not just for 20. It must have lasted a minute or so. Uh, it was a stare down. And you know it wasn't just BS. You know, they it was oh, yeah real you could just feel the tension and i I also remember 1991 one of the best playoff series i've ever seen was around two of the playoffs i believe flames versus the oilers um and uh, it was an outstanding series that might have been the series where the oilers won in calgary in game seven might have been the Tikkanen goal, or was it, uh, I forget. Doesn't matter. Gretzky goal. I forget. No, it wouldn't have been Gretzky. Must have been Tikkanen's goal. Um, but uh, uh, Gary Roberts said to me, "I can't hit anymore." Not, not that he he wasn't able to. He says it's impossible to hit more than I'm able to hit. We're <laughs> all hitting. That's the series it was. It was just phenomenal. So I I agree with you until we get some. Mm-hmm. Good teams that are really sort of uh, we have some. Well, you guys have the star on that team. I don't think it'll. Be, I don't think it'll happen again. The one thing too, though, when the games are coming on ITV or on two and seven, it was it was a big time of the week. We carried thirty games uh, a season. TSN may have carried five or six. CBC five, six or seven. So not every game was on. So when a game was on, and if it was the Orders and Flames. That was event television. I remember once going into a, a, a Pittsburgh, I think it was, and the Flames were just coming out for their morning skate. They saw Ed and I there in the morning, and they say, oh, this game's going back to Calgary. Great. The players were actually excited the game was on TV going back home. So uh, when the games were on our stations in Edmonton and Calgary and in southern Alberta and northern Alberta, it was an event, too. It was something exciting as opposed to, today today when every game is on so it becomes a little sort of lackluster i guess and it's funny because i remember having a conversation with ed once and he said there's got to be a villain once in a while 
And also, there has to be a little conflict. If, and if it's built in, that's excellent. But it makes me think of the two coaches, and I want to throw this at Tim first, and then I'll throw it back to you, Grant. But, uh, Tim, I want you to talk about dealings with Bob Johnson, who – what, what a guy he was, but he saw the game at such an interesting level. And then for you, Grant, you had to deal with slats. So let's start with yeah. Tim. Well, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't talk a lot with Bob. I mean, from the, when I went down um, went down to Calgary or they were in town to do a game, it would usually be Bruce and Harry or Bruce and John would kind of communicate with the coaches. I'd be sitting in the back. But, of course, uh, Badger Bob was always very forthcoming, very friendly, very easy, very approachable. Uh, but he spoke in such a way, I, I found anyways, like, I can't understand a lot of what this guy's talking about. Exactly. He was, he, exactly. Was, he, he was so enthusiastic and he was so pumped up, but there was just a bit of the discussion that I must admit, and you know, that time of my life, I guess, it just went, it went over my head. Yeah. That's, that's the way I would the, And the other thing, too, that I remember about Bob was the fact that he was always complimentary uh, toward the Oilers, but almost kind of in a sideways manner because it was always, we've got to climb, climb Mount Euler. That was, I'm, I don't know how many yeah. times I used to hear yeah. that. And then finally, of course, you had the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the goal with Steve Smith and, and we finally got to that mountain. And then the real test for him as a coach was, okay, we finally got by these guys. Now what? And then, of course they go all the way to the cup final, but he was just an interesting dude, and uh, you saw a little bit of him as well. But, Grant, but you also had to deal with slats up here. Yeah, and so first time, well, not first time, but sort of new into television, I was intimidated by Glenn Sather. Now, was there was there two ways to get into the Oilers dressing room and, like, two doors? Three. There were three ways in. There was the furnace <laughs> entrance oh. I found out later when I worked for the okay. team. There was a back way. Yeah, there was a back way. Okay. Yeah. We didn't know I about the back way, though. No. I so I, I, I went in the wrong door. And was there a door that'd be quicker into closer to his office or something like that? Oh, yeah, seemed, yeah. I went into that door. Well, he laid into me. Clearly, I was wrong, but I didn't know that. How would I even get in there? I'm not too sure. And I, that just in, intimidated me so much. And so uh, I never got any good. Him and John Ferguson, too. John Ferguson was another guy that he would just look at me and I go, <laughs> ah, I, I, I was very strong in my question. So Sather intimidated me. I don't think I got any good answers out of him because I was such a wimp. <laughs> and, and, and Tim, you had to deal with him every time, every day. Yeah, you know, I had to deal with Glenn every day, and and he didn't uh, he didn't um, he didn't suffer any fools. you know, so you better if you're going to talk to him and ask him questions like that, you better have done your homework or your research because he just uh, he just look at you, he give you a funny look, and it, so he was he was. I, I didn't find him intimidating once you got to know him, but you had to spend a lot of time yeah. with him. But one of the one of the worst I had a few tough experiences with Glenn. But what I remember, Grant was. Um, we were we were flying out with the orders, and we were going to go. This is back in the days when we flew commercial. We we're going into Hartford. It was a, it was a Sunday. We were traveling on. I'd been out Saturday night playing cards with the boys till I don't know five or six in the morning, and they cleaned me up and got me to the airport. And I, Rod, back in those days, they didn't have all these guys traveling with the team. Even that trip, Bill Tuwelly wasn't traveling with the team. So Rod Phillips was looking after all the boarding passes. He'd always, <laughs> and I'd say, and we had to go to Mini first and then Minneapolis over. I said, don't send me anywhere near Glenn. I don't want to send any, I, I smell bad, I look bad. So he puts me in a middle seat with Glenn Sather on one side and Billy Harris on the other side. And I got lectured all the way to Minneapolis. God, you look bad. You smell bad. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and it was like, ah, uh, you know, because Rod just reveled in this. He thought it was the greatest thing. But, uh, but, but you know, Glenn was, Glenn was fine all the time. You know, he just, you just kind of had to get used to him a little bit. But I think it was tough for you guys like you, Grant, coming in from out of town. Well, you know what? Yes. And Grant, you you probably got this more than once, but I found this, and I heard long before I was here from guys like Jonesy and, and, and Jim Matheson, Glenn Sather, you had to sort of earn your bones with him. Mm -hmm. He would test you early. Show backbone. And I remember I one of the first practices I walked in, I was tagging along behind Jim Matheson, I'd just come from Kamloops. It was 1989, and I go to the practice. I'm dressed. I'm wearing a nice pair of jeans, some dress shoes. It's a practice, and I'm not a team member. <laughs> Sather looks at my jeans and says, first words out of his mouth ever to me were, been gardening? <laughs> and he either thing he'd send his players to Sam as soon as they were in town, go get a suit, do this. But if you said, you know what, Glenn, 
actually not. These are jeans, and I'm going to be wearing them every day as long as I'm covering the Oilers. <laughs> he would if love you, it. If you said that, he knew he didn't have you, yeah. he'd answer yeah. your questions. You know, I, I, I know what you say now, and I, I agree with that. I learned that after a while. At the beginning, though, I was more intimidated because the Sutters were very much like that, too, where Brian Sutter and, and Daryl Sutter I, I, and, and Brent to a little bit, but more more Brian and Daryl uh, Sutter, when they were coaching the Flames, that they had this persona in front of the cameras, in front of a scrum, where they were just pissed off and aggressive thing you meet them after and you had to sort of not confront them but just stand up and state your case and they would respect that more too but at the beginning i wasn't uh, i wasn't able to do that I, I, like i wish i could have I got I got the lecture once about I was on a plane with the orders. We were coming back from a week long road trip, and I was wearing a sports jacket and shirt and tie and everything. But I was wearing jeans with the with the sports jacket and not and not dress pants. Oh boy! And Glenn pulled me aside in the plane and said, "What the hell? What, what do you think you're doing? This isn't the way." And I didn't work for the orders. I mean, I worked for ITV at the time, but but he was and he was polite enough about it, but very firm about it. Robin, like you're going to be on the airplane with this team, and you're going to be the intermission host. This is the way. And I I I, I never wore jeans around the team ever 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 again. <laughs> Well, the, yeah. five, the five years I worked with them, the one thing that I remember, we always had a shoebox, and it went on the road, and it was at home. The one thing Glenn always liked was he liked your shoes to be shined yeah. and looked great. And so you'd, wow. be, you'd be on the road. I remember we were at the Boston Garden, and, and I was in the media at that time. I didn't know that there was this shoebox. And he said, those shoes uh, look a little scuffed. And I said, yeah, well, I just, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to, you know, get, he says, hang on a second. It, was, it made me take them off. And he took them to the back. I don't know who shined them, but they came back and he says, always keep those shoes shined. And I found out later that that was a big thing for him. But, you know, everybody's got their thing, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's the characters and the personalities of hockey that I think we're drawn to and we love the most. Oh, Badger Bob reams me in a in a scrum uh, for having a tan during the hockey season. <laughs> I, I think there was well there has to have been a, there was a week off we weren't televising games or something. And I my wife and I went south somewhere and I got a bit of a tan. I guess when I came back, I met the team in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia <laughs> on a cold, snowy time, and there I was with this dark. And he looked at me and just said, "What are you you having a tan in the middle of a?" hockey season you should be thinking hockey even when you're not televising a game you gotta think hockey and then he goes into that you know almost like he's uh, on a, a prophet of some kind evangelistic style of preaching and because uh, i had a tan i didn't know what to think about that right. ryan sutter was probably the most interesting coach uh, though that i yeah. had Sutter, Brian Sutter, Dara was a little cranky, but Brian was just, he, he was very, very interesting, and he made life, life fun around the flames, and uh, he wasn't afraid to say things, or he used to punch media guys, I don't know if that's all out, but he, he would, I'd be doing my live stand-up, and I, you know, before a game, he'd come on, he'd just whack me across the back of the head, or punch me, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get after, I'm gonna go after him one of these days. Well, one of the great, one of the most interesting, I guess, challenging nights I had was with Teddy Green when Teddy was coaching the Orders. Uh, God rest his soul. Who's a Teddy, great guy, great community guy, and a, and a wonderful person, and he was a good friend. But the uh, Penguins were in town, and uh, the team had just gone to Badger Bob's funeral in Colorado, I believe, mm -hmm. and then chartered up to Edmonton. So Scotty was coaching the team, and. And, and Badger Bob had passed away. So we were sitting there uh, while the orders were skating, sitting up in the stands with Paul Coff. He was playing for the Penguins and Scotty Bowman. And Bucky and I were sitting up there. Teddy saw it and didn't like it, didn't like that. Anyways, the game goes on, and it's 2-1 uh, for the Penguins. And Vincent Danfu scores late in the second period. So I do a little, I have to do a little 30-second spot. You might remember those, Grant, where, where John China would say, you got to, you know, fill 30 seconds here to talk about yeah. the game. So I'd say, hey, things are looking good for the orders because uh, Vincent Danfu scored late in the second period. They got a lot of momentum going into the third. And the Penguins have to be really tired and emotionally drained after attending the Badger Bob's funeral yesterday in Colorado and chartering up here last night and everything. So things are looking good for the Oilers in the third period. The Oilers come out and win the game. They won the game 3-2, I think, or 4-2. And uh, I think oh, it's all. And Kevin Primo and Ron Lowe were the two assistant coaches to Teddy. And I knew Kevin. I actually went to high school with Kevin. And Kevin grabbed me after the game and said, Teddy wants to see you. He's really upset with you. And I was thinking this was just a joke. This is all a setup because it actually <laughs> happened on my birthday. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Teddy wants to say happy birthday. This is all a joke. It's going to be a pie. So so 
Kevin takes me into the office. Teddy is up one side of me and down one other. How dare you make excuses for the Pittsburgh Penguins? And you never say anything nice about our team. And he's screaming and yelling at me. He was so angry. And Barry Fraser was in there. Barry grabbed my tie and everything. <laughs> and Ron and Kevin were sitting in the back kind of rolling. Like, oh, my goodness. And you know who you know, came into the office to break up the what was going to happen? Because I was just like, I thought I was going to get beat up or something. Yeah. Uh, Peter Pocklington. Peter had that little lounge next door, and he came over. Hey, come on, everybody. And, and he pulled me over, and he said, sit down with Eva, have a glass of wine. You know, went in his, in his little lounge that he had downstairs there. And uh, Ronnie Lowe and Kevin came by and kind of talked to me for a while. Hey, don't worry about it kind of thing. And, and I got to tell you, Ted Green called me the next day uh, at the office, and he said, I want to apologize profusely. Tim, it just was one of those things. I got emotional about hockey, and I totally understood. And that's the kind of classy guy Ted Green was, and Ted and I got along great. But that was a particular evening I will <laughs> never forget. Oh, you wouldn't? Wow. Hey, if Ted Green's pissed at you, you're not going to You know it. <laughs> Ted yeah. Green was such a beautiful guy inside with that exterior. But like Tim says, if he was yelling, that was one thing. The other thing he would do if he didn't like something, one of the writers, he couldn't chew us out publicly. Because, I mean, we don't work for him or for the others. But he would walk over and he would quietly, as he was talking to you, telling you that, Robin, I didn't appreciate the way you quoted me today. He'd have have one of those big meat hooks on your shoulder and he would just squeeze. And you were thinking, if this man wanted to kill me, he could (laughs) right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey guys, we got to wrap up here, but I want to I want to end on a really happy note. This has been a happy, great podcast to begin with, and we could go hours talking about all this stuff. But let's let's talk quickly about the two teams and where things are going right now. The Edmonton Oilers have Connor McDavid. There's a lot to be excited about there because he is an unbelievable talent. And Grant just recently. The, it's finally been announced that the, the Calgary Flames and the city of Calgary are getting their arena. There's two huge positives to take a look at from either team. We'll start with you in Calgary and that big announcement. Yeah, it's been in the works for a while, behind the scenes and off and on, off and on. So finally they're getting a, a new rink and they're going to develop that area much like you have in the arena district up in Edmonton. So that 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 is good news. I mean, people want a new rink here, and I think they want to develop that area of Calgary to to make it more fun to go to a game uh, before and, and after. I think the time around the Flames right now, even though I'm not down there every day, I think, and despite the Bill Peters situation, I think it's good, it's solid, but I don't think there's a feeling around the team that they're really really good that they're ready to make a big push i think last last year was a bit of was a blip on the screen that they were maybe a little better they thought they were better than they are and so i think on the ice i just think there is a feeling they're not saying it publicly that they're just an average team but i think business wise though i think they like to get a few more people in the stands i think that's relatively quiet they would like to sell more walk-up tickets i believe and i think season tickets are down but there's a feeling with this new rink and with this new coach right now um and if they can win some more games and get back to close what they're doing last year, that it is good. I mean, it's a lot better than what it used to be around here, um, but I think it's uh, it's in a good position right now, especially with the rink. And, Tim, the Oilers situation here, they're improved this season. Whoa. And uh, and watching 97 and, and 29, let's say it's kind of a Gretzky-Curry thing all over again in some respects. That's putting a lot of pressure on those two kids, but – it's been fun to watch. It's it's amazing to watch. And the, the one thing I would say about having Connor McDavid here and Leon Dreisaitl is when you're going to a game, you better get in your seats right away. Like, like be in your seats for the National Anthem. Don't be getting a, an extra beer in the intermission because I've been to a couple of games where I've missed something by getting back to my seat late. And if you're there at the rink, you want to be there. And if you think it's great to watch Connor McDavid on TV, you should go to the rink and watch it, watch a game in person and watch what's happening, you know, around the play, not just... It, when the play is on kind of thing, because he's an amazing player to watch. And it is comparable to, to when Wayne Gretzky was there in, in terms of what you're going to miss if, you, if you're not watching the games. And so I always thought that when we saw that moment where you could see the orders were going to get the pick to get McDavid, it was kind of like, this is finally going to get us past 
the Gretzky trade hangover because we never really got over that in Edmonton until they got that pick. And then I was thinking, you know, Craig McTavish always talks about the hockey gods. The hockey gods were shining on Edmonton on that particular day. And, and, and unlike a, where a lot of people in Toronto, eh, Grant and Calgary were complaining about the Oilers getting the pick, I was thinking, this is yeah, the way... Year after year. This, yeah. this, 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 but the, the other ones don't matter as much, Neil Yakupov, etc. But this is the one that was like, this franchise... Frankly, I think deserved it. It's been a great franchise. It's been a great team, but like Calgary, they're going through some things now. Where I, I was at a game a couple of weeks ago, and you could see a lot of empty seats mm-hmm. up on the upper. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Know, the, the novelty of the new rink has worn off. The uh, the struggles the team has had a little bit because it's it is. I think it's it's been great. The new building is fantastic. Where it's located downtown, and the whole the whole thing it's done for the downtown core is is really really good. I'm I'm very happy to hear that the same thing is going to be happening in Calgary. So am I. Yeah. So it's 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 but it's but. Of course, around the team right now, there's this great optimism. Still, though, as well as the team's done, they they, they haven't put together this streak of six or seven games. They still have a game like they had. To, you know, we still see against Ottawa, well, yeah, you know, the Ottawa thing. game or the yeah. Kings game a while ago. There's there's still win one, lose one, win two, lose one kind of thing. And the truth is, you know, back in back in the day when when Grant and I were working, you know, with the orders, you just kind of take it for granted they were going to finish first in the Smite Division, the first and second round of the playoffs. Ah, you didn't have to. Let's I'll get interested in the third or fourth round of the playoffs. Now you look at the National Hockey League, not just the Oilers, the Flames, but you look at the whole league. Is there really a dominant team? Is there a team that you can sit there and you say, I'm going to bet the farm that these guys, the Boston Bruins or whatever, are going to win the Stanley Cup? Not a chance. I mean, look no. at last year. Where were, where were the St. Louis Blues at this time last year in December? And look and no. look who won it. Dead last. Yeah. So could the Oilers win it all this year? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I had some friends go down to Vegas, and they were ready like in August or whatever to put it because I think it was a hundred to one, and the odds have, have shrunk so much that when they were in Vegas, they didn't put the bet down because that uh, the payoff's not nearly as interesting as it was going to be. But you know, you mentioned a good point about you know Drysaddle and McDavid. You have that, you know, the guys you really want to watch. I think that's what Flames fans need right now. The team is on the uptick. Yes, there's a new rink, but if we can get a guy like Johnny Goodrow, who last year was worth the price of admission just to watch. He was fun to see him dipsy-doodle and score, and great. it was fun. That hasn't been seen this year, so until that happens, I think we're missing a little bit of that pizzazz this year uh, with the Flames to go and watch. And I think uh, as a long NHL season, I know this isn't the real season, as you said, St. Louis was bad at this time of year last year. We need that to get us excited to watch right now. And I think that's what the Flames are missing right now. If they get that going, I guess he scored last night, but uh, that would be a big, big uptick for the Flames. Grant, I think you're going to see that. Johnny Goudreau is too good to fade away. No question he's had a tough season. He's a talented player. The other thing I want to say before we go, too, uh, I know Jeff Ward quite well. Yep. And this is a man who is a teacher. Uh, no ill will uh, towards Bill Peters, but Jeff Ward coached here uh, during the lockout season of 0405 when the Oilers started operating the Edmonton Roadrunners in the American Hockey League. Right. They said, Brownlee, you can go cover the cop beater. You can keep doing what you normally do with the Oilers. Go on the road with the Roadrunners. And I watched Jeff Ward home and away deal with younger players. Kelly Buckberger was an assistant coach with him then, a fellow named Joe Patterson. Jeff Ward, if he gets the chance, if the if the roster is there and the talent is there, will uh, surprise almost everybody. People know he was a coach in Jersey. They know he was an assistant coach to Claude Julien in Boston. Jeff Ward is a real keeper, and I think uh, things will improve for the Flames. Uh, maybe... Hey, by the time you're in a new building, uh, this team will be on the right track. Wow. I think, you know what, from from talking to him, listening to him, hearing what people say, outstanding guy, his teaching background's coming in to help. My only concern is that in Calgary, you've gone through this nice guy teaching coach to a hard-ass type coach, to a nice guy. Glenn Gullickson, I heard similar things about him. No, he was too nice, and then so um, that's my only concern. We go through this wave all the time, but um, he's getting the most out of his players right now, and Goodrow seems to respond to this guy. 
Yeah, and you're talking about you know Goudreau and becoming that player that people are going to come to the rink just to watch you play. That's what Edmonton really has going for it now. That to come out and watch Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, who's you know a lot of people in Edmonton have, have given up their season tickets for a variety of reasons. Reasons and the challenges of the economy are part of it, and all the games. But he said, I'm keeping my season tickets because I, I want to watch Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl play in person. And my own feeling is they're worth the price of admission every night, just like. Gretzky and Messi and Curry were the pri- worth the price of admission every night. Even when they lose, watching those guys play, and even if we're talking about that game against Ottawa. I mean, <laughs> McDavid he he went through five guys, five guys, and then hit the on post. That one shift. Yeah, and it's so uh, it, it is that kind of magic, and and I think people should get out to the rink and watch him play because um, you won't see a player like Connor McDavid come along until the next generation. Hey, nope. I, I, here's the thing. Let's make a deal right now, a pact between the four of us. When these two teams meet head-to-head against one another in the playoffs coming up, and, man, it's fun to think just that way, uh, yeah. you guys will come back, right? Sure. I'd love to. Okay. we we got lots of time on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 holy smokes, it's almost 11. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Grant. It's that time. Grant, thanks for your time in Calgary, and, Tim, thanks for your time here in Edmonton. This oh, has man. been great stuff. So there you go. Grant Pollock and Tim Spilsey today. Fun. Great stories. If that wasn't a case of ask a question and then shut the hell up, I don't know what was. <laughs> I actually put my feet up at one point. I was enjoying it so much. Just uh, I think uh, when guys are getting into it like those two guys did, it's just it just makes it fun for us. I hope it was fun for you as well. The Best Of Show is up next in the uh, next week and the week after. It'll run over the next two weeks. It's the holidays for everybody. It's the holidays for us as well. I'm actually out of here. I'm heading over to the Czech Republic for the World Junior Hockey Championships. So I'm very much looking forward to that. By the time I get back in early January, we'll have lots to talk about. Yes, we will. And you'll have a lot of, I don't know how many World Juniors you've been to, but I tell you what, Big event, a lot of fun. You know what's funny is that I've been to, I think it was counting, I think I've been to about four or five, but they've all been here. Yes. I've never been to one anywhere else. And it's always, I always tell people it's a great experience to follow your hockey team or your football team at least once on the road to see what it's like to not be the good guys. <laughs> and you know everybody's targeting Team Canada. They always do. We're, we're all, you know, even when we're not the number one favored team, we're, we're, people look at us in a certain way, right? So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We'll have lots of stories to tell. But anyway, once again, big thank you today to Grant Pollock and to Tim Spelsey. All right, Robin, that's it. It's time to get out of here, okay? Let's go. All right. Recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.